production. Xavier Rudd is one of Australia's most prolific musicians who has captivated audiences for nearly two decades. His socially conscious indie folk music has been a vessel for his spirit, narrating the journey of a composer with a gift for channeling life into song. Xavier says if we do our best and acknowledge the lessons we are meant to learn, we can live our greatest life. In this intimate conversation, Xavier and I discuss his powerful ties to the Aboriginal culture, the music that has transformed him and what the meaning of life really is. Doing your best, no matter what, because we're all going to stumble, we're all going to fall, we're all going to have pain, we're all going to have happiness, we're going to lose people we don't want to lose, we're going to think that we didn't achieve things that we wish we could have achieved, you know, all that stuff, but... If we did our best and we acknowledged the lessons that we were meant to learn, then I think that's a life of greatness. I'm Sarah Grimberg and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Xavier Rudd has released many albums, including Spirit Bird, Nana and Storm Boy. Xavier's single, Follow the Sun, climbed to number one on many music charts around the world. In this episode, you will learn that the beauty of life is found in the most simple of things. Xavier Rudd, I couldn't think of an artist more appropriate for this podcast. Your music has accompanied me throughout my life and touched my heart and soul in the most, really the most profound ways. But tell us a bit about you and your childhood. Well, that's really beautiful, Sarah. Thanks for your kind words. Um, That means a lot to me because my music has always been special to me. So, and emotional, I think. You know, as as a young kid, I always wrote music even before I realised sort of what I was doing, I guess. I was writing um, songs and singing little melodies and things about what was happening around me. I spent, you know, a lot of time in the scrub and, and down the coast. Um, grew up on a sort of a, a bush block with a huge, massive parcel of crown land, bush as well behind me. So I spent a lot of time camping with my dog and, um, singing about um, country um, and those things that I loved, out, you know, outside and our beautiful earth. And I, I guess I still sing about that stuff today because it's what I love to do. And, yeah, my music was always kind of my own little thing, you know. I didn't really show anyone uh, for, for years. It was just my own little thing that I did for myself. And, yeah, today it's a different story, but it's still really intimate, you know. Um, and special. So when you say things like you said just then, how, what it means to you, that that, that um, means a lot to me. You have six brothers. Mm. And how was that? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. It was um, it was great. I, I, there was always something happening. I was um, one of the older ones, so I spent a lot of time looking after the younger ones. So I had a lot of experience with kids, uh, which meant when I had my own kids, I was pretty across it. And, yeah, it was good. Mum and Dad were always 
about loyalty and, you know, dad always drilled that into us, you know, like um, family first sort of vibe. So I think, you know, everyone grew up pretty loyal and pretty solid and, and looking after each other and that. So, yeah, it was, um, it was cool. You mentioned you spent a lot of time in the bush, in the scrub. How has nature played a role in your life? I always seem to feel spirit in land, whether that's human ancestors or some other thing, you know, who knows? We don't really know, but um, I'm respectful of those places. And I think a lot of that comes through in my music. Uh, I guess my music is, to me, is kind of like part of that. It's part of my energetic connection to to the earth, you know, we're all, um, funny part is humans seem to live a lot these days, like we're on the earth, you know, but we're of the earth. Mm. We're, we're, we're just like any other plant or animal. We're a part of the ecosystem and we're connected to it and the energy of land and sea affects us and you know, when we disrespect that, we're disrespecting ourselves. And I think that's the line that gets crossed and blurred. Your great-grandmother was Aboriginal and you have close ties to, to the beautiful Aboriginal culture. How, how has having her as your great-grandmother and having those Aboriginal ties really impacted your life? Well, we, you know, I suspect that my great-grandmother was Aboriginal. I've been doing some research on this lately. We don't know anything about her. She was taken as a ward of the state to Melbourne from Tumut, New South Wales, which is Wadri country, um, when she was, I think, around 12. We found that out. Um, she and all her family was broken up, but it was back in a time where they didn't say who was who or whatever. There's no de- there's no death record for my great grandmother anywhere in the country. She literally vanished off the face of the earth when she had my grandmother. The baby was taken and raised by the Irish family, and she disappeared. So, I mean, I know in my heart that she was Curry, but you know, there's no definitive piece of paper or whatever that says. It just says anything about her at all, which is really sad. But um, I feel like my great-grandmother was lost. I know she was lost. Um, and I've always had an understanding that, you know, there's been an old woman around me ever since I was a little boy. Um, and that um, that she's part of my music. So I assume that... It's the spirit of my great-grandmother and she's got a lot to say for her country and for culture, you know, and for, for her people. And I think that, yeah, her presence in my music is um, is a huge part of it. Mm. Like, it's often not me, you know. I, I, I can tell when I write music that's, you know, an emotional um, connection to myself. There's times where... Um, the spirit comes through me and when that's the case, I understand it to be something that I'm maybe not meant to understand and I just 
stay healthy and strong and, and try and be the most pure vessel for that spirit to come through. You know, I've had a lot of elders around the country tell me that I'm a messenger for, for, for mob and, um, and I think I'm more a vessel. That old woman is probably more the messenger, you know. Xavier, when did you notice that you had this this elderly woman coming through you? Um, yeah, since I was a little boy, I I, um, I sort of had this just more like an under like this weird. I guess when you're little, I just had this feeling like there was this old woman around me, but I never saw anything. You know, I don't see. Uh, I don't see a visual or anything. I just have this feeling and it's like the hairs on your neck stand mm. up sort of, you know, that feeling when spirit passes through you. Mm. Um, that happens to me for sure. And I know that when uh, even sometimes when I talk about spirit, I assume is around, I can feel them like pass through me. And, yeah, I understood that ever since I was was small. And then I guess as I've got older, I've been able to put a label on it a bit more, you know, of what I suspect that is. But I, but the funny part is I've had different people refer to that, you know, that are in tune with that stuff. Have um, suggested I had um, a lot of women's spirit around me and that I had an old woman with me. I remember an old Cree chief once said that. No, I'd never told him anything about me. He talked to me a lot about different stuff. He was fascinating he was from the Cree nations in the middle of Canada and down into the US before they had the borders. It's a huge nation. He's a chief and, a, and, he, and he's also got a science background as well, so he's pretty interesting. What music when you were young did you listen to that shaped who you are today? Well, I'm just writing a song at the moment that I'm going to record and, and I'm the first verse is about my dad singing Harvest, Neil Young's Harvest. Yeah. Because I was telling my son about it when we go on surf trips. You know, we didn't have a radio in the car. The car was pretty old and crappy. And um, dad used to sing, um, used to, I specifically remember him singing Neil Young's Harvest from back to front to Sacapella. And I remember sort of loving that as a kid. And it was a nice space for me. And, you know, the song kicks off talking about that. But, I listen to a lot of what Dad listened to. I guess you know he, Dad had a really good taste in music. A lot of sort of Hendrix and and Bob Marley and the Wailers, Marianne Faithful, Leonard Cohen. A lot of really lyrical stuff. More the groovy, I reckon, the more rootsy kind of sort of stuff from that era. Um, was Dad's vibe, you know, the Doors, and he took me to see me and my older brother. We went which was rare for us to go up to the city, up to Melbourne, like probably might have been the first time I ever went there, was to go to the Paul Simon Graceland tour. Yeah, I love Paul um, Simon. Which was, I think, you know, if anyone ever asked me what, what was a, a musical thing that shaped, a time that shaped my career a little bit or, you know, because people often ask me what my influence are, is, is are musically and I don't really have any, I don't think, because I listen to such a vast range of music. I've never really listened to anything in particular that that I've sort of honed in on and tried to sort of to play, like even a lot of what I've listened to over the years, my music's nothing like it. Um, 
and I see so much music at festivals and things. I think you're influenced by everything you see and hear. Mm. But that was one particular moment where um, I was really touched and it was it was the cultural exchange as well. It was the African band. I remember I, I probably was only about eight or ten years old and I remember just being blown away by that story um, and sad too. And I remember that night going, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. You know, just like, <laughs> just looking down and thinking, oh, yeah, that's, well, that's what I'll do. Wow. Um, sort of thing, you know, in my little head. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Tick sort of thing. And look at you. You've absolutely followed that dream. Yeah, but unconsciously, really. Like, I do remember that, but I never, like, set my sights on it and went, right, you know, like I – um. I mucked around with other things and I always played my music. Like I said, it was always something that in, before that concert, I'd, I'd always sung all these little songs and stuff before I even realised that I was writing music. But I, it was always my own little thing. I didn't really see myself as so much as doing it in front of people. And I did other little jobs, that, you know, I had other ideas for what I wanted to do, but then I had a few... Um, mates and stuff and I'm like you gotta play because I played you know as I got sort of older into my older teens and stuff I, I played songs here and there for people you know if we'd had a few beers or I'd, I'd had a joint or something I'd maybe go oh yeah here's a here's something I'd sing, you know and I'd sing a song I remember a couple of my mates being like you gotta play that stuff like you, you know you should play for people and Eventually, they encouraged me to play, like, at a cafe or whatever. But I was real shy, eh? I was super shy. I was, like, it, it made me really nervous. I didn't like it. it. took me a while to get the courage up. The Spirit Bird is an absolutely beautiful song, and you have an amazing story about how that came together. Can you share that with us? Yeah, it was. Um, it really was a gift from country, you know. It was. It was, a, or a message from country. It's a lot deeper than me. That song. Yeah, I absolutely know that. I mean, it came from a long. I think it was part of that lesson that that Cree Nation chief was talking about. You know, it was a long lesson where I'd, I'd, I'd been through, and and. You know, when he told me that these lessons that I was going to learn, I had no idea what he was talking about. And then I got hit like a train from life, yeah. and stuff happened. And I, you know, and I, and I ended up ended up on antidepressants, and I was in it was in a bad way. And um, and that's when I went right. I'm going to go and get off these pills and and go and and go to the Kimberley, basically. So I just went to the Kimberley, and I. Went cold turkey on that stuff and then and just spent time in the Kimberley on my own. And that's a very, very powerful place. It's, you know, I think in terms of spirit, I've never felt anything like it. It's, it's unbelievable up there. Um, it was a big mob of red-tailed black cockatoos that were following us and around the country in every culture, uh, black cockatoos are uh, often looked at as ancestors. They follow us all the way back. To broom, and at the end of that trip, one of them dropped a feather for me, which was a feather that's on the cover of the album, Spirit Bird album. But 
I need to, to go to the toilet. So I got out to have a piss and I looked up at the at this tree that I hadn't seen at all. And it was this dead tree. And um, in it was this huge mob of red-tailed black cockatoos. And they're very flighty birds. You very rarely get close to them like that anyway. So I was really close. And this one female one was staring into my eyes. And as as it's really hard to explain it, but as I looked at her, I just started, I felt like I was sinking into the ground. Wow. All of these images started rushing through my mind, like memories of faces and places and stuff, but it wasn't my memories, you know, it was just like random. And it was like, whoa. And then that was it. I they flew off, I left. And then that night I went to a, um, a beach, which was a woman's beach, so we had to get off by sundown, but I wrote the first lyrics of Spirit Bird just poured out. I mean, it was kind of emotional and it was the first half of the song and I wrote, wrote it in the sand. Uh, my friend Jonesy actually has photos of it of me writing it. Um, and then the, the tide came and washed it away. And then I sang it and played it on the guitar and then that was it. I didn't, I left it. I didn't think anything of it for a couple of years. And when I was in Canada a few years ago, I was recording the Spirit Bird album, um, which I ended up calling Spirit Bird, but um, I hadn't had that as a song that I was going to record and neither was Follow the Sun actually on that album. But I was sitting by the fire because I was at this studio that was on a lake north of Ontario. Oh, sorry, north of, oh, sorry, somewhere near Toronto, but in, in, in Ontario and it was in this lake country, beautiful country. And I was, the studio was kind of like in a cabin and I was sleeping in a swag on the bank of the lake. So every night I'd sort of have a fire and, Sleep there it was beautiful. It was summer. And um, so I was sitting by the fire. It was about 10 o'clock at night and I started playing that song and then the whole back half of it just came out, just poured out of me as well. Um, and I was crying at the end of it. It was yeah. so heavy. But it was at the time where the James Price Point gas operation was happening. They were trying to put that through. It was hectic up in Broome and up, uh, up at... Walmadan or, or um, James Price Point. They were trying to put the biggest gas plant the country had ever seen up on this sacred sacred country. And um, it turned out the next morning when I woke up, uh, I realised that at midday WA time, I think it was, they started to move in with bulldozers and they started to drag the elders and different people that were protesting off off that site in order to start work. Um, and it was really horrific. Um, the police were pretty forceful um, and, you know, it was a horrible scene. It turns out that that was the exact time that I sang that second half of that song in Canada. I had no idea. Wow. So then it was a song. That was it. After that it was, it was finished. But these two halves that had happened, one in the Kimberley and one from the other side of the world at a time when the Kimberley was under threat. And, geez, I respect that song. Like, I don't – it's always an emotional song for me. You know, I don't I – don't, that song didn't come from me. It came from somewhere else. And I always treat it with 
the utmost respect when I play it or when I when I have a forum for it. When I've ever played that song around people as well, I've noticed that people that haven't heard it before are absolutely like hypnotised by it. It is this song where, and I don't think this happens often, where you only need to listen to it once and you fall absolutely in love with it. So to understand the background of it makes so much sense. Mm, yeah. What ties into so much so much stuff that I don't think I'll ever understand, you know, like the reason why I was up there, the, the stuff that came from the Cree Nation chief, that, that, you know, the way of the world. I just think a lot of stuff um, came out in that song. When you look back at all of the different concerts you've put on, performances, is there anything that stands out to you? There's a boy that came up to me at a festival in Oregon. It was outside of Portland, Oregon in the States. Um, it was called Beloved Festival, real hippie festival, good vibes, um, and it was a nice little environment. I was singing Guku, actually. Yeah, I was singing Guku. Guku is a um, song that was a tribute to my Wawa man who adopted me up in Arnhem Land after he passed away. So I was really, you know, in a sort of emotional space, I guess, when I was singing it. And this young African-American boy came up and um, I had my eyes closed and I, I felt him. He walked up on stage and he just held on to me and he just hugged me. And he maybe would have been about 10 and I sort of was not really conscious of who he was, but I could feel his energy was really powerful and he was crying, sobbing and he just held on to me, just clung on to me, didn't, didn't let go. And uh, I remember I ended up crying too and it was, I didn't even know what was going on. It was, he it was hectic. But he, um, yeah, he, he just had this, this vibe and I wonder about that boy sometimes, you know, because he passed away. In a tragic story, years later, it was only a few years ago, um, he had he was adopted by a, a couple, and um, he had three or four brothers and sisters adopted as well by this couple. And I met the I met them before because they brought him up to from they they brought the the two women and their kids brought their the kids up before to get me to sign some stuff and get some photos and things at other shows in America or in Portland, I guess. And um, uh, they drove off a cliff mm. somewhere south of San Francisco. I remember that and, story. Yeah, it was hectic. It's an awful story. Yeah, it was a horrible story and they, 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 they think it was maybe intentional. Yes. And then there was other links to child abuse and stuff yep. that was going on. Uh, you know, I don't want to speculate, but that's just what I'd heard. I've read that um, too. And, yeah. That's sad. And that, that, that boy was strong. He had, you know, whether he was suffering at that time and, and you know, he, he'd sort of like he was reaching out and, he, you know, and he, he was clinging on to me in a, in a desperate way. I don't know. 
Now I wish I knew, but um, he he was powerful. Mm. He definitely was powerful. He had a he had a, he had a big spirit, and you know, obviously he was meant to go. But I'm sure he's around. He's out there now doing things. But as a as a human, he was. It would have been good to see where he he ended up. Yeah, that's so tragic. But that, you know, that's one story. Among many of many many powerful exchanges yes. um, around my shows, follow the sun is like an anthem to so many people. Could you believe the success that that song was ever going to have? I know you wrote it as a as a coming home song. No, nah, had no idea. Like, it still mate, it still spins me out. Um, actually, it's very simple. That song. The lyrics are beautiful, though. Yeah, it was a homecoming song. It was paying respect to to everything, you know, that I was talking about earlier about us being of the earth and, and, you know, we have these inflated egos as human beings and we try and manipulate everything and think we own everything, but we don't and we're just just part of a big system. Sort of came from that place and, uh, yeah, I was just having – I was – sitting on a creek, really beautiful, you know, crystal clear creek, and I was watching these trout um, when I was riding it. Yeah, it's funny as as it uh, – because it's done some pretty amazing things. I remember it was number one uh, in Europe, and it was – or Holland, I think it was, and they – because it's had a lot of success over there, and it, it uh, was climbing up the charts, and it was it – was, my manager kept sending me – uh, screenshots of the charts of where it was, and it was get, getting higher and higher, and, and eventually ended up number one. But and it was number one for about three weeks or something. But the, all the songs around it were these huge productions. It was like Adele and Justin Bieber, and you know, huge stuff like big, big, um, expensive productions. And I reckon Follow the Sun cost me probably about 500 bucks to make it. Probably not even, like, because I remember I had, I'd been surfing at Belongil in Byron and I recorded it for our one with Geordie and I had to get to school to pick up my kids and I was late because the surf was good. So I uh, I got into the studio and I had about two hours to bash it out and he's like, where you been? I was like, oh, I'm surfing and I got to go at... at this time, so I was like, so I ended up only doing two takes of the song, just set up, stomp box, guitar, harmonica, vocal, and I sang it twice. And then I said, I gotta go. And he was like, Jordy, um, was like, Oh, can't, can you do any more? And I was like, No, no, I gotta go, just pick, pick one or, or cut them together, whatever you want to do with those two. I still got to ask him actually. I can't remember if he picked one or he or he cut them together or what he did, but I think he just picked one. And so it was a live take, and uh, and that was it. That was the song. Um, and it's but yeah, definitely been my most successful song around the world. It's um, but you know, it was meant to be simple. It was written simply, and and I think people just enjoy that simplicity of it. Maybe I love it. It's it's such a oh, beautiful song. There's such a beautiful warmth about you. You're such a, your your music is fantastic. But as you've said before, there is a deep sorrow inside of you that you still hold. 
Why is that? I don't know. I think it's just in my bones. I think stuff happened um, to my ancestors and I think, um, I don't know what that means specifically, but I think I, I carry it somehow and um, and I feel it and I conjure it for it for whatever reason. Um, and, yeah, I do feel a lot of sadness a lot of the time. Sometimes I know what it means and sometimes I don't. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Cree Nation Chief Kenneth Charlotte, he said to me, um, as I grow doing the work of the grandmothers and grandfathers, evil will grow with me. It will grow at the same rate because it's the yin and the yang. Like you can't have... Polarity. Yeah, without the same level of... Evil is how he put it. Yeah. I don't know, you know. Darkness and light. Yeah, darkness and light, whatever way you want to put mm. it. But that was important advice. Because I was always very trusting and and um, sometimes gullible, I think. And, you know, as a younger man and, you know, like it's definitely making my way on the business side of things that I do and all the rest. Like, you know, I think that was good advice. As much as we like to think that everyone's pure and got good intentions, it's not the case. Mm. And we have to be careful. We have to be. We have to protect our energy sometimes and not take on the wrong spirit. And make sure that if we do, we we're, we're cleansing that in in whatever way we we think is good for us. What's your greatest hope for society today? I'll, I'll tell you the lyrics of that song, one of the verses of that song that I'm writing that I'll record pretty quick, pretty soon. But sometimes it's hard for me to remember unless I sing it. So Yeah, sing me. it. We would love that. <laughs> um, it's, I agree. Without love, there's no foundation to start. And I agree that all that matters are the matters of the heart. It's plain to see all the hatred in the wells of the past. Lost at sea, treading water between the light and the dark. And it's not hard to imagine a scene where all religions of the world come together in peace to wash the hands of time to start over and see if we can love the earth just like the ancients believed. It's not hard to imagine a scene where the rhythm of the earth is in perfect harmony and the songs of the birds put you quietly to sleep. And with the sweetest morning breeze, they pull you gently from your dreams. Ah, brilliant. That's what I hope. I love it. What is a life of greatness to you? Um, just having a good crack. You know, doing your best. No matter what. Because we're all going to stumble. We're all going to fall. We're all going to have pain. We're all going to have happiness. We're going to lose people we don't want to lose. We're going to think that we didn't achieve things that we wished we could have achieved. You know, all that stuff. But, you know, if we did our best and we, and we acknowledged the lessons that we were meant to learn, then I think that's a life of greatness. Xavier Rudd, 
My beautiful friend, thank you so much for the chat today. Thank you for your prolific music. It's it's just been so life-changing for so many people. Thanks, darling. And I appreciate you too. Thanks for what you do. You've got a beautiful big smile and you hold a space for good people to come together. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free.